Shalom. This is Ron Warren with Torah Life Ministries. Today's podcast is part of the Fall Feast and is the Feast of Shakot, Part 3, better known as Tabernacles. This podcast covers the teaching of the last day of Shakot, Shani Haharis. Visualize yourself planning and organizing a seven-day reunion for the good old times, and you nearly invite everyone. But this is no regular reunion. It is one solid week of food, music, dance, and fun. Sooner or later, the things are going to start winding down, and people will begin to leave. Because you are the host, you quietly go over to a few of your best friends and whisper, Stick around after everybody else leaves. That's when I'm breaking out the good stuff. At the end of Shakot, God added a special day called Shani Haharas, literally the eighth day of the assembly. On that great day, only one bull was offered, reflecting the Jewish people. It is a day of great closeness with our Creator as he asks his Jewish children to remain with him for an extra personal time together. You will find that in the Talmud in Shukot 55b. Now, in the days of Yeshua, there was a seven-day cycle of reading the Torah. And in days one through three, the people would read from the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. In years three to six, they would start over. And in year seven, they would read them all together, all. Now, while reading, the priest would stand on a, on a podium like a bima and give the understanding and the teaching. You'll find this in Nehemiah 8, verses 1 to 2. Now, this was done during the Feast of Shakot or Tabernacles. That's also mentioned in Nehemiah 8, verse 2, and verse 13 and 14 and 18. Tishri 2 Shani Haharis and Tishri three Simchat Torah, in ancient times, were considered one long day and celebrated on Tishri two. Simchat Torah is the celebration of the rejoicing in the Torah, and this will be explained in a different podcast called Simchat Torah. Now, as it is written in John chapter seven verse thirty-seven, in the last day, that great day of the feast. This day would be known as Hoshana Rabbah, or Tishri 21. And in John chapter 8, verse 1 to 2, it is written, Yeshua went up on the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all of the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. This is the next day after Hoshana Rabbah, the day attached to Shakot called Shani Haharis, and as I said, in ancient times that day was also called Simchat Torah, which means the rejoicing in the Torah. Now, what does that show us? In John chapter 8, verse 5, you read, Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? Yeshua. The author of the Torah is questioned about the Torah on the day referred to as the rejoicing in the Torah. Let's take a look at the story of the adulterous woman. This occurred on Shani Haharis, the eighth day. It is written in John chapter 8, verse 2. 
Now very early in the morning, we just read it, Shani Haharez, he came again into the temple and all of the people came to him and he sat down and then taught them. Now consider this. It is written in John chapter 8, verse 6 to 8. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such, but what sayest thou of her? They, this they said, testing him, that they might have find something to accuse him of. But Yeshua stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger. And while he continued asking him, he looked up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone at her. And again he stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. The Pharisees was misapplying Moses' law here since the stoning was commanded by a for a betrothed girl before the wedding and a woman before them was married. It's written in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 26 to 27. If there is a girl who is a virgin engaged to a man, and another man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring both of them out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death. The girl, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he had violated his neighbor's wife. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. They cared nothing for the law and were only interested in cooking up some charge against Yeshua. Now, what did they have the hope to gain? Here they are. If Yeshua had concurred in asking for the death penalty for the woman, they could have hailed him before the hauled him before the, the Romans who had made it illegal for the Jews to assess such a penalty. Now, if the Lord had recommended mercy, they would have placed him at variance or opposition with Moses and made a lawbreaker out of him. Verse 7 says, And when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the, first, cast the stone at her. This scripture has been so misused to say you should never judge anyone, and yet, Applied in this context, it doesn't mean that. Why? Because in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 7, it reads, The hand of the witness shall be the first upon him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. Yeshua demanded that the witness reveal himself and cast the first stone. But the Lord demanded something else. Such a witness would have to be one without sin in this case. And here's the problem. Where was the man? That witness had to be the man that the woman committed adultery with or helped set it up. He would not have been without sin in this case. Again, the Pharisees' trap had closed without taking Yeshua. The Lord neither condoned any kind of sin nor contradicted Moses. He just turned the tables by an appeal to conscience that there was being no coward like a guilty conscience. This is the only incident where Yeshua, in bodily form, writing. Now, what did he write? Here's the answer. He wrote the names of the people that were there, starting with the eldest and going down to the youngest. Now, how is this known? Consider the cycle of the Torah at that time. The half Torah in the temple read that day would have been Jeremiah 17. It talks about the unrepentant Jew. Read verse 13. 
It says this, O Adonai, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be put to shame. They that depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken Adonai, the fountain of living waters. If you continue reading in John chapter 8 and go to verse 10 and 11, it reads, And Yeshua lifted himself up and said unto her, Woman, where are they? Did no man condemn thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Yeshua said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go thy way, and henceforth sin no more. Yeshua's response showed four things. Number one, he was not against the Torah. They needed two witnesses to condemn her. Number two, he was merciful towards the woman. Number three, he opposed her sin. And number four, he could silence people trying to trap him and put them to shame. John recorded a second Shakot miracle in John chapter 9, verses 1 to 12. Yeshua's healing of the man born blind shocked the people of that day, not only because of the act itself was so amazing, but also because the timing of the act was especially significant. It is no coincidence that Yeshua performed this miracle immediately after Shakot, for he used both the healing and the holiday to make some earth-shattering statements about himself. In the healing of the man born blind, Yeshua combined three specially important themes of tabernacles. He again stated that he was the light of the world. Verse 5 set reads, And when I am the world, I am the light of the world. Number two, he brought the Sabbath into question. Verse six reads, And when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay with the, the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes. And number three, he emphasized the water once more when he told the man to go wash in the pool of Siloam, as it's recorded in verse seven. All of Jerusalem's attention was on this pool during this feast. And he said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And he went out therefore and washed and came seeing. Thousands of years later, people are still grasping with the meaning behind this miracle. A close look at the history of Shakot, how it was celebrated in Yeshua's day, and the meaning of the light in Hebrew scriptures will help us to discover what Yeshua meant when he says, the light of the world. Shakot, celebrating God's presence and provision. Prior to his encounter with the blind man, Yeshua was teaching in the court of women soon after the temple illumination ceremony. Perhaps he was even standing right there next to the magnificent Camaralaba when he declared to all who had gathered there. Again, it is written in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. Light has always been a sign of God's revelation and his presence. From the burning bush that Moses encountered to the pillar of fire that the Israelites followed to the Shekinah glory that once rested in the temple, the presence of light has long been equated with the presence of God. Light was associated with the Messiah, God's anointed one. Isaiah 9 verse 1 to 3 reads, 
but there shall be no groom to her that it was in anguish. In the former time he brought them into contempt the, the land of Zeroboam and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time hath he made it glorious, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness hath seen a great light. And they that dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them has the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nations, thou hast increased their joy, their joy before you, recording to the joy in harvest, as man rejoice when they divide the spoil. That day in the temple, Yeshua said that he was the presence of God right there in their midst. And at the same time, he was declaring that he was the Messiah. He was the light that the people had been waiting for. A few days after Yeshua spoke these stunning words in the court of the women, he gave sight to a blind man. Now, there are different types of blindness. There's the physical blindness that longs for physical light. And then there's another kind of blindness, wherein a person shuts his or her eyes to the things that they don't want to believe. Now, if you look at the accounts of Yeshua's life and death, you'll see that he came to take care of both kinds of blindness. According to the Talmud, there are 39 categories of work that are prohibited on the Sabbath. These categories came from a work that was done in the building of the tabernacle. One of these categories was kneeling. Kneeling was needed to take water and dirt and turn it into clay, and clay was a building material. And according to this oral law and Pharisaic understanding, this violated the Shabbat in two ways, kneeling and building. When Yeshua put the mud in the man's eyes, if this was intended for healing, then According to Luke chapter 6 verse 7 and John chapter 7 verse 22 to 23, he also violated the Sabbath according to the oral law. This miracle created a major doctrinal problem for the Pharisees. It is written in John chapter 9 verse 16, Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, This man is not, of God, not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. Rewind your mind for the last seven days. During this time, after the burning of the daily sacrifice, the libation of wine is poured on the altar. And next comes a libation of water with special ceremonies that everyone wanted to see. And it was from Shalom that water was brought in a golden vessel to the temple during this Feast of Tabernacles. Yeshua probably pointed to it when he stood in the temple and cried, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. You'll find that in John chapter 7, verse 37. When the water was taken from this pool, it would be with great joy. Priests carrying the silver trumpets would blow the ceremonial calls, takiyah, Tarua, Takia, and other priests chanted the words of the prophet, With joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. This is found in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. Yeshua told the blind man to go to wash at the pool of Shalom, and after being in it, after doing it, he would receive his sight. 
This is significant since the Hebrew word shalom means sent, and Yeshua was the Messiah sent from heaven. Here's the kicker. The English equivalent of that word is the word apostle. Consider this. The waters of the pool flow from the Temple Mount and even in the Tanakh, the Old Testament, are regarded as symbolic of the spiritual blessings that flow from the dwelling place of God. The significance of the references to the pool and its supplying conduit is that for spiritual cleansing, we must go to the true Shalom, the one sent by the Father, Yeshua. He brings not just the physical sight, but also the spiritual sight to all who go there. Tabernacles and Passover are the only holidays mentioned in the millennial worship according to Ezekiel chapter 45 verses 21 to 25 and Zechariah 14 verse 16. Shakot just doesn't look at the past. It also offers us a glimpse of the future where God's promise to Abraham will be fulfilled and all of the nations of the earth will be blessed through the nation he first chose. There is a key passage in scripture talking about this time to come. And the rabbis call this the Messiah's feast because of the following words of the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah 14 Verse 4 and 16 reads, And his feet shall stand on that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof from toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very big valley, and half of the mountain shall be well removed toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which come against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Shalom. Until the next broadcast. If this teaching has been a blessing to you, you might consider subscribing to Anchor Podcast Platform and the Torah Life Ministries website. You can do this at www.torlifeministry.com. Until then, Ron has left the building.